swear I just read this. Right? <laughs> um, but there's a, little, there's a little addition here, a little bit more than last time, at least after the, uh, the everyone goes back glorifying God, we have this really important thing, this little verse about the uh, naming of Jesus, of honoring this eight days they brought him to be circumcised in name, bringing him before the priest to uh, welcome him into this community, right? And I have to say, I'm very grateful for that little verse because now I have something to talk about that I haven't already talked about. But um, specifically, I think it's because I admittedly am, I, I don't know if you can tell, whenever we have a baptism here and I get to do it, I am pretty excited about it. I love baptisms. We have a baptism coming up in like two weeks. It'll be happening on a Saturday and I won't be here. And I'm like, well, I think I'm going to be here because I just want to be at that baptism anyways because I really love them. They're great, this tradition. I love how much um, energy comes from this welcoming somebody into this community. Um, talking to the parents beforehand about what it means that we're, uh, you know, welcoming this whole family into this long obedience of forming a child in faith and how powerful that is. It's great. It's one of the reasons I love this story is because Mary and Joseph having this child have been through quite a bit. There have been angels there has been a near separation, a near divorce. There has been long journeys. There's been a manger. Now we got angels in the sky. We got shepherds showing up. It's been quite a story. Virgin birth, folks. This is a big thing. All this would have been very wild for them. It must have been so overwhelming. It says Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And I'm like, she was probably just really exhausted. Yeah, I'm like, you should have seen it. She's like, cool. Yeah, absolutely. That was a lot, right? All this stuff that's going on must have been overwhelming. But here we are eight days later, later saying, these parents are saying to themselves, it's time. It's time to fulfill all righteousness. We need to bring this child before the priest, have him named, have him circumcised. That was their tradition. And Mary and Joseph knew they had this responsibility to it. Responsibility to raising their child in a way that would result in Jesus being this individual that we worship, that we talk about for centuries after. This individual, this unique person who is named, he will save us from our sins. I think about those parents and how anxious they must have been. I do not want to drop the ball on this one. They knew what Jesus was supposed to be. I know I felt that as a parent I want to do my best, but perhaps the more appropriate thing is what I just said. I do not want to screw up. I don't want to do this wrong. Anyone else have that voice in their head? Maybe if you were a, a parent or just responsible for anyone teaching, you don't want to do it wrong. You don't want to teach them incorrectly. And I hear that a lot, specifically as a pastor, I think, as parents express often. They feel like they want their children to have a strong faith. But oftentimes they'll say and lament, I feel like I don't know if I'm the best example of a strong faith. I don't know if I know enough to share that with them. That's why I want to bring them here into this community. I'm like, well, that's great. Yeah, a community forms the child, right? That's great. They worry, though, that not having remembered everything from confirmation or Sunday school, they will not do an adequate job. Anyone here remember everything from confirmation? I'm not asking you, Pete. No. <laughs> right? It's not fair, you taught it. <laughs> so I'm saying we all have this insecurity, you know, that maybe we're just not up to the task. Uh, I hear it a lot 
Um, and I, I just kind of have to remind parents, look, nobody does. Who does? Who has all the answers? I know this is the fact that it's not just parents, though, but we ask volunteers all the time, hey, would you be interested in helping with this uh, formation opportunity we have with little ones? We're going to be teaching them this thing. Would you like to volunteer? And folks go, I don't know if that's my speed. I don't know if I'm really equipped for that. I'm definitely not the ideal candidate. I know this because I play this game as well. Um, it's when uh, my children need help with homework. My wife is an elementary school teacher. Guess who tries to duck out of that right away? Well, let's just ask your mom. You know, let's ask your mom. I'm not the best person to teach you this, obviously. I'm just a pastor. I don't know third grade math. Like, it's not fair for me to just duck out on this because I'm not a teacher. But I do. In essence, I invite myself, hey, shake off the responsibilities. Your wife is way smarter than you anyways. Have her do it. But that's not really fair. That's not really part of the responsibility as a parent. It's not fair at all to my kids as well. I can't relegate myself to being a teacher of just the things I'm most educated in. It's the same with faith. Just because we don't feel the most informed or knowledgeable or certain on any subject doesn't mean we don't have any part to play in the formation of the faith of others because we are to do this as a community, right? I feel, I know a bit about faith as a pastor, but I'm reminded in Mary and Joseph here. I'll ask the question, does anyone here believe Mary and Joseph were just by providence the most wise, intelligent teachers of faith of their age? Well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say they're just like profoundly wise in the teaching of scriptures. It doesn't say that. I ask this because they were just normal people. But they knew, as we know now, still, that faith is a sticky thing. If we want to form someone for the mission of God, the mission that's been placed on all of our hearts, that we've been entrusted with in our baptism, this faith needs to stick. And sticky things like faith are not just about how much information we retain, about how much wisdom we hold of interpretation of scriptures, it's sticky in that it hangs on to you. It's something that people in faith circles say is caught, not taught. Faith is captured. It sticks to you. It's the kind of faith you remember because it stays with you. It's why we tell parents, the number one faith teacher in your life is not your pastor. If you talk to kids, who is the person who kind of informed your faith the most? How, how many people do you think before they start hitting pastors? It's like four, five because before that is my mom, my dad, my grandparents, uh, the people in my community, my friends, they taught me the most about this. It's not just professionals who share the faith. It's the community living the faith. Jesus was raised by not just Mary and Joseph, but by a faith community. Imagine what Jesus caught. Imagine what stuck to him by being a child born to two faithful people who then had to flee to Egypt to protect his life. Imagine what caught on him, what stuck to him about hospitality, about what it means to feel other, to be a stranger, to be a foreigner. Imagine what stuck to him as a child, and then ask yourself, why are we at all surprised by how Jesus welcomes outsiders, strangers, others, foreigners, people from other places, sits with sinners and tax collectors, because that kid knew what it meant to be on the outside. 
His parents showed him there is another way. This is what it means to love one another. His faith community taught him what it meant to be welcomed into a community. Something stuck with him. Not just the words of scriptures that say, welcome the stranger, but he lived it. Jesus was formed by this environment as he was always going to be the Messiah. The one we all seek to imitate today. And Jesus didn't just teach us in words. In our new members class, we asked, what are some characteristics of Jesus you would love to imitate. And it's not his teachings. We talk about his ways. His submission to God, his boldness of faith by sitting with strangers, his willingness to forgive sinners, his bravery facing violence with nonviolence. It's not just his words. It's his ways that tell us, that show us he's something different. The Pharisees even said it back then. Um, Pharisees' teachings would have been too wildly different from Jesus, but they said he teaches in a way with authority that they can't seem to put their finger on. What is it about this Jesus that makes it so authoritative? And I would say it's probably his ways. I mean, it's not just that he's a perfect observer of the faith. I mean, he's picking grain on the Sabbath. He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's eating with unclean people. These are all technically against the rules, but they are seen and observed as undoubtedly, to this day, as faithful. They illuminate. They illuminate facts found in scriptures and ignored as holy, different than they'd ever seen before. I say this all, you, all this to you today to say that you, too, aren't meant to be the most perfect, well-informed church body the world has ever seen. Good Shepherd is not to be just the holy, most learned church that's ever existed. Each one of you aren't supposed to be absolute Bible experts, although you can learn a lot from Pete. I'm sure you can. Pete leads some great classes. I'm sorry, Pete, you're here. I just have to do it. Yeah. You can learn a lot. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying that's not the rule. I think Pete would agree. That's not the rule. I say this because God wants a world not just full of the most wise individuals, but a world that has been transformed by the abiding love of Jesus Christ. Transformed in love. God wants to use the church to bring about that transformation. That's our job. Not to be the best, but to love as Jesus loves. Share in words, absolutely. Share in worship, absolutely. But also in our very ways, in our very way of being, to be people transformed. So we might help to transform others, bringing the world closer to Jesus Christ through our ways, our words, and our works. So this year, a new year, I encourage you all to lean in to that identity. It's about the name of Jesus, right? But also the character of this one who restores the world. Lean in, not just in study, but that would be great. But also lean into one another. As we prepare as a congregation, as we're waiting for a new senior pastor, for new possibilities at Good Shepherd, there will come change. Let's work in the midst of that on creating that Sticky faith, a kind of faith in our ways that catches on to people. How we lean in, how we offer care. Ask the child in worship, how are they? Ask the stranger if you can help them with anything. Offer yourself to one another as an offering and trust you don't have to have all the answers to model a transformative love of Jesus Christ, a loving faith 
in the one who loves all of us. You don't have to be the most perfect and faithful, who never makes a mistake, who never misunderstands, because maybe we're spoiled as Lutherans. You know you're loved already. The Spirit is upon you already. It's why I love baptism. That thing doesn't come off. Once you get it, it stays. The Spirit is upon you. This new year, ask yourself, how are you going to carry that Spirit, carry that love, carry those ways into the world? How are you going to carry the tradition that's been given to you? How are you going to carry the name of Christ into the world, into your relationships, into your family, into your workplaces, through your ways, through your very being? Because God has promised to give us an embarrassment of opportunities to be the church at all times. Spoiler, if you'd like, if the horn's going to be coming out, the front page article gave this, I wrote a little thing because on Christmas, oh man, did God provide this really cool thing, an opportunity to be the church, and I'm still buzzing about it. Read about it in the horn. Um, what it told me again and reminded me again that is if, if, if you're feeling maybe you don't have enough, know this, God can, by God's own power, can do infinitely more than we can ever hope for or imagine. And that's a fact. Happy New Year. Amen.